as we study God's word. As you know, if you've been following us, we normally pick right back up where I left off the previous week in 2 Timothy. But because of today, we're going to take a special message out of Isaiah. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Isaiah chapter 55. It's in the Old Testament. Chapter 55, we'll be just covering 13 verses today. And then we will finish up with communion. And we will then celebrate afterwards with some food and some uh, a cake and uh, fellowship uh, so please, if you can, stay and, and meet someone you have not met before. Ten, ten years ago, in 2010, as we were transitioning up here, as the Lord was showing us the door was open and now it was time to start, this new work that God had shown us while we were in new, uh, back in California days. That at that point, one of the questions you somewhat asks as a pastor is, Lord, <laughs> why New York? <laughs> uh, Hawaii sounded nice, uh, you know, uh, somewhere warmer climate would be nice, but... We knew without a doubt that God was showing us we were to come and start a new work in Watertown, New York. The next question is, is what is it, Lord, that you want us to do in that community, in that surrounding area? And he gave me and showed me a, uh, a graph that I found on the internet while we were looking up Watertown and, and, and the things about Watertown and and one of the things that came up in our search was religious following or adherence in 2010. It was a new poll that was taken by the government or by the surrounding uh, government census kind of a thing. And we found Jefferson County, New York. And when I looked at that, it showed this graph, and the very first thing I noticed at the top was that when you looked at the population of 116,594 people in Jefferson County at that time, in 2010, it showed that those who took that uh, poll and did those surveillance found that 66% of the population in 2010 said that they did not follow any religion whatsoever. That Catholic was 18.2% of the population. 8.7% was mainline Protestant, Methodists, Lutheran, the main the, the denominationals. There was 4.2% were declared as evangelical Protestants, such as ourselves, independent churches. 2.7 was other, that would capture those who follow Wicca, witchcraft, and other types of religions. And then there was the Orthodox. Orthodox Jew accounted for 0.1% of the population. So when I took a look at that, I said, Lord, why are you sending us to, to New York, to Watertown? When I saw that, God put on my heart and said, because 95.6% of the population doesn't know the truths of the word of God. 
and you're going to minister to 95.6% plus of the 116,000 people who live in Jefferson County. And it reassured me as the Lord spoke to my heart. And it was a, it's a very, we heard all the time from California and other places how the Northeast is very dark religiously. And many have we've known from California and other places have come out to start a work and within a year have stopped that work. Even in the very first year that we started the work and I would get around to the other pastors in the Northeast and New York and New Jersey and other areas that would gather together once or twice a year would say, why would you come out here? It's very dark to start a church. Most have never started. And I'd hear stories of one by one by one men who would come up and start a new work in Watertown and and Jefferson County. And within less than a few months, they never heard from them again and they faded away. Those were encouraging words as a new pastor starting a new work with just five people. But I am very thankful. Because it just resolved in me why God had sent us from California to make a journey here to New York to start a new work. Because God showed us this is right for harvest. This was the place that God was going to do a fresh new work and we were going to be part of that work that God wants to do in the North Country. Luke 10 verse 2 says, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And God reaffirmed to Kathleen and I, this is exactly what he wanted us to do as being laborers here in the North Country. Lord, placed a desire on our heart to start a journey on a road that would prepare us in a way that we would have never chosen. In a timing of his timing that we would have never believed would have been the timing and the path we would have had to take. To prepare us to come to start this new work here in the North Country. Acts 1.8 But you shall receive power from the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and to all of Judea and to Samaria and to the end of the earth. And many people told me, Corey, you've come to the end of the earth. You're in north of the country. I said, praise the Lord, because that's part of God's plan then. If that's where I'm coming is the end of the earth and that's called Watertown, New York, the north country. Praise the Lord, I'm part of his will. As a child of God, you want to be in the will of God, do you not? And when you know you're in the will of God, you have such assurance of that you're doing what God's called you to do. There's such peace and joy that comes from that. In Luke 10, 1, After these things the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. 
That verse encouraged us in the early days because I was waiting and waiting to see who the Lord would join us up for two by two to go out and start this work. And when he did show that and Rich and I said, okay, here we go, we're going to go. He was going to join us in the ministry to do this. We knew when we came out here, it was two by two. Why? Because that's according to the scripture. And the what encouraging word for me was is the fact that he himself was, God himself was going to go before us. It wasn't like we were going out to start this new work all on our own with our own, our own flesh and strength. God was going before us to pave a way to do this new work that he's called us to do. We had the full assurance that God was with us. And it encouraged us. Those words, these verses encouraged us over and over and over. Remember, it was just Kathleen and Heather and then Rich and, and his wife Heather. It was just the four I taught that very first week. And the next week, I, only, I lost half the congregation. I only taught two because Kathleen and Heather had to go back and sell the house in New Jersey. But I prepared to teach just two people. Why? Because success is never based in the ministry based on numbers. It's based on quality, not quantity. God sees things much different than the world sees. Many people determine a successful church based on the number of people that are coming. We don't track the number of people that come. We minister to whoever is in front of me of that day. And each and every day we pour our lives into who God determines to bring that day. So we never worried about the numbers. Why? Because our verses is, is Acts 2. Acts 2.42, especially Acts 2.47. Praise God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. We knew if we were out there sowing and, and watering and just harvesting, God would add to the church if he wants to bless this church body. We just said we're to be faithful in what God's called us to do. And we never looked up. We just kept plowing. And all of a sudden it went from four people that I was ministering to. Then I was teaching a family of, of, of four. Who then left less than 30 days later. Because the military all of a sudden had an unexpected move in th within 30 days. But within those 30 days they were so moved by the word of God that they told ten families. And those ten families started coming. With all the children. Do you know the average number of children that a military family has? What a blessing. We went from just adults to having a children's ministry. So we had to ask the Ramada to give us another room just to put the kids in. But here was the interesting part, my brothers and sisters, that you missed out on. We would sit in a Ramada and here comes down through the hallway all these women with their children in tow. And no men. Because if you remember in 2011. We were at the height of the war. And all their, all their men were at war. I would weep. I would weep. Because I could see all these women just suffering. The husbands are gone. Their kids are in tow. And we would say God you you blessing us by bringing these women to for me to care for. And so we were the grandfather and grandmother. We were the father, the mothers that these people never had. At that moment, 
We ministered to those kids like I was their father or grandfather. We ministered to those women. We would go and you saw the pictures and the things. We would go to Sackett's Harbor afterwards. We'd sit in the park and we would play with the kids because the dads weren't there. We'd listen to the music and we'd listen to the ladies and these ladies would pepper me with questions because they didn't have a husband to talk to about the things of God and the struggles that they were dealing with. And we'd sit there for hours. Boy, that was a beautiful time. But God faithfully just kept bringing people. And we just kept ministering. And let God do the work. That's why I love Psalm 150. Verses 1 through 6. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty fulfillment. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the flute and harp. Praise him with the tremble and dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and flutes. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. In Matthew 16, verse 18, I, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. I did not care how dark the north country was in the eyes of people. It All that mattered to me is that God says I love those people and they need to hear the, the word of God just as much as the Bible belts. And you're going to go pour your life into those people and whoever I bring just be faithful. Because just like you at the end, don't you want to hear when you're in the presence of the Lord in heaven, when you're absent from this body, to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord? Do you not want to hear that, my brothers and sisters? I do. We see in Isaiah chapter 55, encouraging words for us, for those who are Gentiles. That would be you and I. Unless there's someone here who is Jewish, Jewish roots. This is speaking to you as well here, but, but to the Gentiles. And we see in the Old Testament that the prophet Isaiah depicts the changes God makes in the lives of those who turn from their sins, their wicked way, and trust the Savior. And when we look at the scripture, the servant here is Jesus Christ who died not only for the sins of Israel that we see back in Isaiah 53 verse 8. But Isaiah says God not only died for you, the Jewish people, but he also died for the, the entire world, the Gentiles as well. That also that the sins of the whole world could be forgiven. We see that in John chapter 1 verse 29 and 1 John chapter 4 verse 14. And Isaiah makes it clear without, throughout this book that the Gentiles are included in God's plan of salvation. And what Isaiah and other prophets did not know at that time 
was that believing Jews and believing Gentiles would one day be united in Jesus Christ. And we see that clear message in the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. And so we will see here in this chapter 55 that God gives the Gentiles an invitation to what? To come to Jesus, to come to the Messiah, to come to God, verses 1 through 5. Not only for you to come, but then you to to seek him with all of your heart and mind, soul, and strength. We see it simply clearly message here in verses 6 through 13. And if you want to later today, continue in chapter 56, verses 1 through 8. Because after you come to God and you seek him, you are to worship him. An invitation to come to the Lord. God invites every single person that he's created. God creates people in need to come to him by coming. They indicate they will trust in him and him alone and rely on him for their lives, for eternal life, for salvation. And they agree that they want to know him on a personal level and be obedient to his word. Now we see here the very first thing in verses 1 through 2. Let us read that. Oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Verse 2, why? Do you spend money for what is not bread or your wages on what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. In verses 1 through 2, we see a contrast that God gives a message to Isaiah for you and I today. And that is going from a substitute to reality. Many people will substitute a relationship with God with other things of this world, including food. He uses an analogy here that some of you are going to water that will, you will drink, but it will still leave you thirsty. You will go and you'll buy food, but it will, the bread, but it will, it will, you'll still be hungry. You will take and use your appetite on many things that the world has to offer, but you will still come up empty. So the scripture here, the prophet here, says for you to listen to my words. Listen to God's word because you can come and partake of the water that I have for you. You can partake of the bread. I am the bread of life. Come and partake of me and you will never thirst and you will never be hungry again spiritually. You will not look for the things of this world to try to fill the spiritual void that is you're experiencing in your life today. Oh, how many of us chased money or chased promotion or chased Whatever the, the flesh wanted. But at the end of it, after you got it, you still were empty. The lost sinner is bankrupt because he spends all he has for what he cannot satisfy his soul. 
And when you hear God's word and you obey God's word, you start to enjoy the water of life that God gives you and the bread of life that he gives you. And it only found that Water of life, that bread of life, is only found in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He continues here in verses 3 through 5, and he gives another contrast between death and life. Listen here in verse 3. Incline your ear and come to me. Here in your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. An everlasting agreement with you. God is making an agreement with you. Personally, the sure mercies of David. He gives David as an example of how he was merciful on King David's life. In verse 4, indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader, a commander for the people. Surely you shall call a nation and you do not know. And nations who do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for He has glorified you. In these verses 3 through 5, we see God is showing how you are living in a dead life. There's no eternal life. Apart from God, you have no life, we see in the Scripture. Regardless of what you think and feel, it doesn't matter. It only matters what God says. He created you. And our faithful creator makes it clear to us in the scriptures that you have no life. You're dead in life in your sins. You're dead in sins, but you can become alive. And when you compare verse 3 with John 5, verse 24, and I'll read it for you. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. And shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Have you? Have you surrendered your life in, in the hands of your Savior, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, God himself? And receive eternal life? I pray you have asked that. All you have to do is come to him. And ask for eternal life, to be forgiven of your sins, and he will forgive you. Why? Because he loves you. That's why. You can't do anything for it. You can't earn it. It's a free gift, and he loves you. And he wants to set you free from your bondage of sin and give you everlasting life. That is a loving and good God. A merciful God. A God of grace. Do you know him personally? And you do. You know and understand what those words mean because you're not going to be judged. No longer will you be judged. You are now passing from death into life. Jesus is the fulfillment of the covenant that God made to David back in thousand years prior. Into We see in 2 Samuel chapter 7... And Acts chapter 13, verse 34. And when you do trust Jesus Christ, you share in his life and his victories over this life because he went to the cross for you and for me.
He took your penalty on his body, on his life. Because, why? Because God loves you. Regardless of how you feel, he loves you. Now in verse 6 and 7, we see the next contrast of a changed, transformed life from guilt to pardon. You're guilty to a point you've been pardoned and set free. Where does it say in verse 6 and 7? Seek the Lord while he may be found. That's a very important verse right, part of the verse there. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to, and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. What a beautiful promise for you and I when we were a sinner and apart from God and we wanted nothing to do with God. That he would love us so much that he says even though you want nothing to do with me. Or you only want, to, want some kind of religious experience, but an arm's distance away. It doesn't change my love for you. It doesn't stop the fact that I've already paid for that sin on the cross and will willing to pardon you and make a way for you to be for eternal life and salvation. It's still there for you. It's a free gift. Are you willing to accept him still? And so when you see this, when the sinner repents, acknowledges as a sinner and needs to be forgiven by God Almighty, when you come to that point in your heart and in your mind that you need to be saved and you turn your life to Christ by faith, God shows you mercy. Do you remember your day of salvation? When you... you, you you felt when you just repented and a hundred pound gorilla of sin came off your back? Do you remember the weight coming off of your life? The guilt of weight was lifted and you're no longer guilty? You've been pardoned. Now remember what pardon means. It's like you never did anything wrong. You do know that, right? You were sentenced to go to jail. You were in jail. You were in bondage. You're going to hell. And God says, I've made a way for you. And all you have to do is accept me by faith. And I will pardon you. And you will walk a free man, a free woman, like you never sinned before. And it's by faith. You can't do any good works. You can't get, uh, give money for it. You can't help... a do all these good things for God that does not pay. You cannot do enough to pay for your sin. That's why God said, I will send my only begotten son to pay that penalty for you to make a way. That's what allows a man or a woman to go from a guilty state to a state of pardon and set free. Psalm 103 he will not always strive with us. And at the end of that verse says forever. And this is what many people don't understand. Right now, the Holy Spirit is moving in your heart right now. He speaks to your heart and my heart. Right now, he is. 
Because I, I may or may not know you. But God knows you. And through and by his word, he has you here and listening online or here at present for you to hear a message that he has for you. Because he is telling us in the scriptures, I am here right now as the Spirit of God moves to try to get your attention. If you're saved, he's here to encourage you that you are, yes, you are free, and yes, you have eternal life, and yes, you're not going to be judged, and yes, you're going to heaven, and you're going to be in the presence of God. Absent from this body, you're in the presence of the Lord. You have peace and joy. I'm not talking about you today. I'm talking for those who are been playing church their whole life. Or for some of us way back when I got saved, I didn't play church at all because I didn't come from a church family. I heard the word of God spoken for the very first time in my late 20s. Truly hearing the, the word of God talk. It changed my life. I'm speaking to them because that's what the scripture is saying here. He says, I'm not always going to strive with man to get your attention. We see in the scripture, he comes to every person and knocks at the door of your heart. And anyone who opens up their heart to him, he will come in and dine with you. But the scripture also tells us he's going to stop knocking after a while. And then there's no, way, there's no chance for you to be saved. How does that work out practically? I, tell, I remember telling a young man, he was still young. When I, when I say young, anyone in the 20s were young to me, you know. <laughs> At this point in my life, everyone seems to be younger. <laughs> but he was just coming out of the teenage life, thinking he knows everything, right? Dad knows nothing. Mom and dad knows nothing. He knows everything. I said, how many times have you heard that Jesus loves you and wants to, you to surrender your life to him? Oh, pastor, a couple of times. And how did you respond each time? Well, that's for my mom. And my, my mom says I need to do it. But my dad doesn't. My dad doesn't know the Lord. So he's fine. He's still alive. I said, your dad is is foolish just longer than you are. He's just been a fool longer than you are. That's the only difference between you and your dad. But you still have an opportunity because he's, he's knocking at the door of your heart, but at some point, every time you say no to God, I don't want to surrender my life to him, do you know what happens to your heart? It actually hardens. And every time God knocks at the door of your heart and you say, I don't, I'm not opening up the door. Go away. You're hardening your heart. And out of love, God has given me a, a calling to share with you. Don't miss out on the knocking at the door of your heart because he might not come back because your heart is too hard to receive and to hear anything. He's still showing up, knocking, but you're not going to hear it. Because it's just, you've just completely hardened and tuned out God trying to get your attention. 
yeah, from the old man pastor. He always gets up there and says something. But I'm telling you, God loves you so much. If you don't want to hear it from me, I assure you he sent someone else, maybe a friend or a complete stranger in your normal walk of day. He is showing you himself to you. And I want to encourage you because as we see in the scripture, you can get from guilty to pardon. You can get from bondage to freedom if you would just recognize that God is trying to set you free from the guilt that is such a weight upon you and it's having an effect of your mind and your soul. He continues here in verses 8 through 11 and he takes another contrast between fear and certainty because so many people live in fear today. Fear of everything from fear of COVID to fear of of death to fear of loss of money and loss of stuff and loss of their health. I mean, it goes on and on and on. It can place such, such a weight on people. But we see in the scripture, it says in verse 8, God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from the heaven. <laughs> I'll pause right there for a minute for some of you. Snow is not from the fallen world. This is part of God's plan, right? Snow is part of the deal. So praying to have no snow. God says snow is good as part of his plan. Just as a side note for some of you. But for as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there. They don't go back up. But the water, the earth... And make it bring forth and bud. That it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. I'll pause there for a minute. God brings rain for us. He brings snow for us to water the land so it will bud and crops will grow. So that you can turn around and bring about seed which then the sower can then make bread for you to eat to to be able to live. It's a good thing. God designed it. But now he brings the contrast and he takes that illustration and makes it a spiritual application. Look in verse 11. So shall my word, God's word, be that goes forth from my mouth, from heaven, and it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. God takes his word, which I am reading to you right now, He uses a vessel that I'm shocked to, trust me, that God uses me to teach the Word of God. Trust me. But he uses people to teach and for you to open up the Bible to actually read God's Word from heaven. 
And he does it like water because he's sitting there. I'm going to pour out my water upon my word. Because in the scripture, we see water as a form of the Holy Spirit. It is word pouring out upon you and me from him. And it shall not come back to him. Just like rain and snow doesn't go back up. His word will not go back to God. It will do exactly what God wanted the person who is to receive it. To have work in their lives. It will produce. It never returns void. That's why I know when someone comes to me and say, Pastor, I need counseling. Who, who am I? But what I will do is I will teach you what the word of God says because the power is in his word, not me. I'm not going to give you some psycho babble. I'm going to give you the word of God because the word of God says it transforms lives. It will go out and do a work in your life and it will not return void. That's why I have such confidence when I teach the word. God is going to do something with that in your life if you were willing to receive it. That's why he says in this verse here, it shall accomplish what I please. Not what Corey pleases, but what God pleases. And it will, and it shall prosper. Notice this in the scripture. It shall prosper for which I sent it. So God is, I'm reading the word of God. As you're reading the word of God, he's sending forth his word so that you will receive and it will doing something very specific in your life. How many times? Oh, I've, I, I've lost count over the years. Pastor, I, how did you know? Know what? What I was going through. I didn't. Well, it sounded like you were talking directly to me. It wasn't me. It was the Holy Spirit, God himself, talking to you through his word. Now the question is, you heard him. Are you going to be obedient? That's what I want to encourage you to do. Be obedient. Time after time after time, God gently comes in through and by his word of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and lightly touches you. Do you know that thing that you're doing right there is going to kill you? Do you realize that what you just said is going to get you in major trouble? Do you know the thoughts that you're having about what you're about to do? Do you know the consequences that, that will come about? And he warns us. Why? Because he loves you. God is right there, active and moving in you and my life. Do you believe it? Well, if God's been speaking to you through the scripture today, then you know that he is alive because he's speaking to you directly. I don't, I'm just reading the the word of God and telling you what it says. Because God's ways are beyond man's comprehension. But you can be sure he is going to accomplish his, his purpose in his timing, in his way, in your life. And I, we quote this scripture a lot, don't we? His ways are not my ways. His thoughts are not my thoughts. And so many times people go and say, well, why did God do this? Why is God doing this? 
I don't understand this, and I wouldn't have done this. You're right, because your ways are not God's ways, and your thoughts are not God's thoughts. His is good and right and pure and perfect. Yours is not. <laughs> and once you get that settled in your mind that you're not perfect, then let God be perfect in your life. It solves many of your anxieties of the fears that absolutely paralyzes you in your life. You want to be set free from your fears? Then you need to trust God. Trust in his word. Apply it to your life. And watch those fears subside. Why? Because you will come to the very simplistic. I'm a simple kind of guy. If you've been, you know me anytime, I'm pretty simple. I'm not complex. When things go crazy in my life and I can't understand what God is allowing in my life to have happen, death, loss, well, I thought we were going this direction, we were going this direction. I don't question those things. I immediately, when I don't understand things and things are just causing a, the fear, I, as soon as fear starts bubbling up, I know that it's not of God. Why? Because the scripture tells me the, the, God, the fear is not of God. So I bring those fears under control and I go back to what I do know. God is good. God is in control. God is love. God loves me. God is, has a plan and a purpose for my life. I, Even though I don't understand it, I don't know where we're going, I can't believe this is happening, it won't matter because I bring it back to what I do know. I don't give up what I don't know. I just, whatever, Lord, you're in control of my life. And if today's the day you take me home into heaven, praise the Lord because everything is solved. All my problems are solved and once I go to heaven. But I want to encourage you, my brothers and sisters. Go to the certainty. The certainty, the promises of God. If you're going through some difficult, unknown situations in your life right now, and there's many of you going through some health problems, I know that, and I, we continue to pray for you constantly. Some of you have relationship issues and you're determining, should I marry them or not? Or you're having situations between divisions within the family or within loved ones or something and you don't know how to resolve those things or a marriage problems. It goes on and on and on. It's life that you're dealing with. But let you encourage you today, don't fear. As a child of God, you should not have the fear Bring that fear down of the unknown of why and go to what is truth. Go back to the simplicity. God is in control. God loves you. Are you with me? God has a plan and purpose for you as a child of God. He is directing your steps. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust the Lord with all your heart and, and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. See, these are the things, the scriptures that I memorize and go back to to ground me when fear and the enemy tries or my flesh starts rearing up the fear. I bring it under control, bring those thoughts under control and go back to the basics of the truth of God that I do, do know without a question in my mind. 
And I pray that you will do that also. And let the fears subside. Because God's passion for you and I who turn our lives to him comes because his thoughts and ways are far superior to any human thoughts or ways. And as we learn in verse 7, human thoughts and actions are evil. God's are not. And like the rain and snow that seems to be wasted, God's word accomplishes his will on the earth. He has a purpose for everything he does in and through your life. In the last two verses here, we see God can take someone who's in the wilderness wandering, not even sure what the purpose of life is. Wandering in the wilderness. A life that is dry. And brings them into paradise. Look at it in verses 12 and 13. For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up a cypress tree. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. And it shall be to the Lord for a name. For an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. We see these verses here because we see that God says, as a child of God, you are following him. You're going to go out with joy and peace in your heart that you cannot even explain. Have you? Do you experience it? You should be experiencing that now. Because you're in paradise. You're not in paradise, meaning we're not in, with God in heaven yet. And we haven't come back to earth with him yet to create the new heavens and the earth and all the things in the future. But right now you can have peace and joy because God has come inside of you. The Spirit has sealed you for eternity. He dwells within you as a believer. And so we can go out in joy and with peace to a point, it's, which I think is pretty cool when you read this, that it appears this this abundant satisfaction because you've been pardoned. You've been set free. There's such joy and such peace and freedom in your life because you're not bondage of fear. You're not bondage of guilt. You're just set free, my brothers and sisters. By the grace of God. But even the nature is going to sing. The mountains, it says right here, the mountains and the hills will just be bringing a song that you can It's going to be beautiful. I remember when I got saved. It's, when you're in darkness, as long as I was, and then all of a sudden the light is flipped on and you have a relationship with God and you now see things that you never saw. I never really saw the hillside and the flowers and the trees and the birds hearing them sing. I, I, I'm a young man just working hard in the military at the time and raising a family and figuring out how I'm going to get rich. Playing volleyball up and down this, the, the coast of California and competitive and playing on an Air Force team and and it was all about sports and always about the looks and all about getting rich and having lots of money. That was my 20-year-old mindset. 
And then the Lord flipped the switch on, and then all of a sudden I started seeing. The more I thought about myself, the more miserable I became. And all of a sudden when he flipped the switch on, it wasn't about me anymore. And I started noticing the birds. I started noticing the colors and the hillsides, God's creation. And yes, the mountains and the hills started singing to me. Yes, the trees were like, he says in the scriptures, it's like as the branches are moving, they're like clapping. My life was changed because I surrendered my life. And because of salvation and the effects of sin, we have, according to the scripture, a tremendous, tremendous future ahead of us. Because we know in the scriptures that the effects of sin will no longer be when God comes back for his people and makes things right in the millennial time. Not only people will be filled with peace and joy, but it will also be filled with a future where even nature will be joyful. I cannot wait. Like you've heard me say many times, for us as believers, this world is just a vacation gone bad. And we're going home. It's only a matter of time we're going to heaven and get out of this wicked world we live in. But remember, in closing thoughts here, is what God speaks happens. God is faithful. We serve and follow a faithful God. Whatever he says will happen. It doesn't matter what the world says or you and I say. It only matters. You have to understand it will happen because he is a never-changing God and what he says goes. One day the Bible tells us the very foundations of the earth will perish. Hebrews chapter 1 verses 10 through 12. You Lord in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish but you remain and they will all grow old like a garment and like a cloak you will fold them up and they will be changed but you are the same and your years will not fail. In Matthew 24, verse 35, Jesus said himself very bluntly, heavens and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. When you read that scripture, how could you not turn to the word of God for your life than any other place? Why would I try to help you with anything other than the word of God? I don't, and I won't. Why? Because I have a surety based on the scripture that heavens and the earth will pass away, but his words will not. That's why I want you to know the word of God. And that means the word of God is his bond. That's what keeps you together. It means he will keep all his promises. It means that God will fulfill every prophecy that he said and he's made and will fulfill. One quarter of the Bible is prophecy. God said this thousands of years ago that this would happen. We don't know when it was going to happen, but we watch by prophecy by prophecy being fulfilled that was told 2,000 years prior. Every single prophecy is going to be fulfilled. There's no question about it. 
A.W. Pink, in his commentary, said, God never forgets, never fails, never falters, and never forfeits his word. Why? Because God is perfect. He never changes. And so what he says will be just as true a million years from now. Just as true it is now, it's going to be true a million years from now. So count. Count on his promises to you. Rest in his word, his promises, his prophecies, and they are going to be good and right and accomplished. Why? Because he is faithful. We serve and follow a faithful God. There's lots of false gods out there. Little gods, little G's. Lots of false religions. Lots of false promises given by man. But why we have such joy and peace is because we serve a faithful God and his word is sound. That's why we have the life that we have as a believer. And I pray you have that relationship. And even if you do have that relationship, you, I pray that you're growing in that relationship where you are experiencing the joy and the peace of God.